Thank you, Michael. Before we look at God's Word, I just want to mention that some of the members of our uh, other campus down in Lake Nona are here with us worshiping this morning. Could you raise your hand if you are from the Lake Nona congregation? Okay, they're kind of kind of scattered over there. Good to see you. Uh, they were not able to use their normal meeting space this morning down there, so they came here. We had some of the early service and some of the late, so it's great to see all of you here. Turn with me, please, to in, in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, reach under a chair nearby you there and pull out a Bible and turn to page 1088. You'll find it on that page, what we're going to look at today. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 39 and following. We are continuing a, a Christmas series called Good News of Great Joy. We started it a couple of weeks ago. Matt preached on an unchanged life from the early part of Luke and the, of, of Luke 1. And then last week we talked about an unlikely choice. And today I want to talk with you about an undeserved rescue here on the third Sunday of Advent. An undeserved rescue. While you're turning to that, I want to remind you about tonight. Michael just prayed for our outreach celebration over in Avalon. I hope you'll be there. Bring a blanket, bring a chair, bring a friend. Join us at 6.30 this evening for a good time. And then next Sunday, the Giving Tree is the focus uh, because we're asking you to bring a gift or two or more to the Samaritan Resource Center. Look in your worship guide for a little more information about that. The Giving Tree is something we do here every uh, Christmas where we try to really load some group or person or organization up with gifts of love and care. So that's next Sunday, the giving tree. All right, Luke chapter 1, I'm going to begin at verse 39 and read to verse 56. Hear God's word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us 
this passage of Scripture to lead us to think of Jesus. Thank you for his ministry to us on the cross. Thank you that this is a season in which we get to we'd be encouraged to celebrate his birth. And we pray, O oh Lord, today that we will magnify him, that he will get bigger, that he will get larger in our hearts and in our minds, that we will love him and serve him and grow to become like him, that we will go take the message that we read today into our very needy community and into the world so that they too may find good news of great joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Really? Really? For many of us, tis not the season to be jolly, nor is it the most wonderful time of the year. Perhaps in your life there are no kids jingle-belling and nobody's been telling you good news of be of good cheer. I know, it's a hard time for a lot of us. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's something going on in your home. Maybe Christmas just doesn't live up to the hype in your experience. Maybe it's not the same without your loved one around like he's been before. It's hard. Some of it's hard for you. Uh, I have a friend named Peggy who called me the other day. Her husband, Jonathan, had brain surgery on Friday. It seems that when he was five years old, he had leukemia and they treated it with radiation. And unbeknownst to them, the radiation caused tumors called meningiomas. Eleven years ago, a surgeon removed one of those tumors. It had wrapped itself around his spinal cord. But now this one is, is in his brain. And it's been growing. He's in neural ICU at Florida South Hospital even as we speak. And they don't know what life will be like for Jonathan when he wakes up. There are a couple of families here who know the sorrow of a lost loved one. Two people I know at UPC lost both their parents this year. We pray for Diane Webb. Her father died yesterday. I know some parents who are in anguish over their children who are not walking with God. And there are surely lots and lots of other stories of pain and sorrow and loss and sadness in the room this morning. But the message of our text is that in Jesus Christ you can have something that will see you through the hard times. And it's not a pipe dream. It's not wishful thinking. It's something the Bible calls joy. There is the reality of a joy that can walk with you and help you through pain. Joy is the theme of this text this morning. And we're going to talk about joy today. Just look at the text in general for a few moments before we really dive in. First you meet this little unborn baby. His name is going to be John. You know him better as John the Baptist. But right now he's a fetus, just a fetus in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. She's almost into her third trimester of pregnancy. And into her home walks Mary. Mary, she's also pregnant. She's carrying Jesus, the Son of God, in her womb. 
I mean, Jesus is just a tiny, microscopic cluster of cells. The second person of the Trinity is a blastocyst. Something less than one-tenth of one millimeter in diameter. That's the Son of God inside Mary. As soon as Mary comes into the house and greets Elizabeth, verse 44 says that little unborn John leaps for joy inside his mother's belly. Some of you who have born children, you know a little bit of what that might have been like. But this was a giant backflip. I mean, John was going nuts inside his mommy. You know, you know, if you remember here a couple of weeks ago, the angel Gabriel had already promised John's father, Zechariah, that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And sure enough, as soon as, as Mary walks in, carrying the Son of God within her, little unborn John sensed the presence of holiness and flipped around inside Elizabeth. Joy! And then there's Elizabeth herself. She's an old woman. Verse 7, earlier in chapter 1, says that she was advanced in years. She'd never been able to conceive a child, if you remember the story. But by a miracle of God, she and her husband Zechariah are expecting a baby who would prepare the way of the Lord. And when Mary comes to visit her, verse 42 says that Elizabeth shouts. The word there, the phrase is loud cry. She cannot, she's just like little John. She cannot contain herself. She shouts with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Just like her little unborn baby, Elizabeth intuited that Mary was carrying the Messiah. The one whom the prophet said would come and redeem Israel. The one whom Isaiah said would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. He was there in the house. And so she wakes up the neighbors. Blessed are you, Mary. God's favor be upon you. Notice the word that Elizabeth uses in verse 43, granted. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We would say, How can I be so lucky that I and my home gets to be host and hostess for the unborn Son of God? Joy! And then there's Mary, of course. Mary, in verses 46 through 55, breaks out in this beautiful song known throughout the world as the Magnificat. Maybe you've heard of that. That simply comes from the Latin translation of verse 46. Magnificat, our word in our version, my soul magnifies the Lord. We're going to look at that song in a little more detail just in a moment. But what I want you to notice here then is that these three, these two women had plenty to be unhappy about. I mean, there were a lot of circumstances that don't at the on the face of it call for joy. Elizabeth's husband at the moment was mute, had been for some time. He was not a man of great faith. He was struggling with spiritual doubt. Elizabeth herself was old, as I've said. And would you want a baby in your 70s? I'm not so sure that many of us would. So there was a lot of trouble going on for her. And then Mary herself was a nobody from nowhere. A poor teenager 
Some people say, I suspect it's true, she probably was as young as 13 or 14 years old. How would Mary survive the scorn of her community for giving birth to an illegitimate child? And think about the political atmosphere of the day in which these people lived. Israel had drifted away from God for centuries. They were suffering the consequences of their spiritual decline. The nation was oppressed and exploited by ruthless pagan uh, Roman occupiers. In other words, what was there to be joyful about? There was a lot of stuff to be anxious about, a lot of stuff to be sad and, and even perhaps angry about. There was one thing that caused joy. And that was that Jesus Christ had come to the rescue. And that's why you and I today can also be people of joy. In spite of your circumstances, in spite of your sorrow, in spite of whatever it is that you're going through that's hard, you can still experience biblical joy because Christ has come to the rescue. I want to talk about that with you this morning and basically say two things about Jesus, our rescuer. And the first is this, that Jesus came to rescue us individually from our particular sins and miseries. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ came to rescue us individually from our particular sins and miseries. Look at verse 46. We're going to now look at the Magnificat in some detail The first part of Mary's song shows that she is very, very personally aware of the love of God. Look at verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see how personal this song is? Mary doesn't just say, God has looked on our humble estate. She doesn't say, he who is mighty has done great things for us. Now that's of course true. But Mary rejoices in God her Savior, her personal Savior, verse 47. She says, you are God, my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord, verse 49, uh, 46 rather. He who is mighty has done great things for me, verse 49. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet that Mary expresses the fact that God has done this for her uniquely? What is God communicating through Mary in this song? That he knew exactly what a mess each of us was in our own individual way. And he sent Jesus to do something about it. What Mary is showing us is that God knew every single one of the bad choices that you've ever made throughout your life. God knows every one of the sins that brought you to the place of utter exhaustion and desperation. And Jesus came to rescue you from them individually. Mary's song reminds me a little bit of another woman in the Bible who knew personally God's love and care. Her name was Hannah. Back in the Old Testament, here's a little chart. I'm not going to take time to elaborate on this. But Mary's song in Luke 1 looks a lot like Hannah's prayer 
in 1 Samuel chapter 2. You can almost line them up side by side and make an interesting study out of it. So you can look at the chart for a moment. But here's the main point. Hannah was a woman who also needed a rescuer. She had prayed and prayed for a child and she was unable to conceive. She was married to a man named Elkanah and they'd been married for years. But uh, Hannah wasn't able to have a child. And the fact that she was childless was a source of great sorrow and anxiety and bitterness for Hannah. So she prays and prays and prays to God for years that she might be able to conceive with no result. She went to Eli the priest and, and he interceded for Hannah. He prayed for her and then he promised Hannah that she would have a child. And sure enough, God opened Hannah's womb. She conceived and gave birth to Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 2... This prayer that Hannah prays is very similar to Mary's song because she knew that God had come to her rescue. I know a guy who for years and years carried a burden of shame on his back. He grew up in a home where nobody ever hugged. Nobody ever said, I love you. This guy never felt like he was good enough. Never felt like he measured up to anybody's expectations. His father was a pretty critical dad, criticized him a good bit for his imperfections. His mom was moody and demanding and aloof. His home was an emotional vacuum where fears were never admitted to, where problems were never talked about, where feelings were rarely shown. So this man learned from a very early age that he just had to try and figure out life on his own. It didn't work very well. He was just alone and sad. Until one day Jesus came to my rescue. He did. Somebody told me that even though I was a terrible sinner. God loved me. Individually. That God knew me from the very moment of my conception. And loved me with an everlasting love. And I was desperately in need of that love. God came to my rescue. Has he come to yours? I wonder. Have you come to the place where you knew you were drowning in sin and needed desperately a hand that was strong and would be there for you every minute of every day for all eternity? And have you asked that God, that hand to rescue you? If not, I hope you'll do it today and find in God the lover of your soul. Listen, have you thought about the fact, for those of you that are rescued, that have reached out and received that, that strong hand, have you, have you really done business with the fact that God sent Jesus into this world to rescue you? You individually? You uniquely? Yes, of course, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That is so true and wonderful. But God so loved you and you and you and you and you that he gave you his son. When Jesus was born in the manger of Bethlehem, it was because God didn't want you personally to perish. As Jesus was growing up, Obeying the law of God perfectly, obeying his parents, loving his neighbor. He was obeying the law and attaining righteousness that he would give to you personally so that you could be justified through faith in him. 
as Jesus was carrying his cross up the Via Dolorosa, he was thinking about you so that you wouldn't have to carry a cross to your eternal doom. And as Jesus hung on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine that he was praying for you by name? He was. He was praying for each and every one of his dear ones. Dying to pay the price that God would have exacted from us had Jesus Christ not come. Jesus Christ knows the burdens you're carrying. He knows the sorrows. He knows the tears that you cry at night that nobody else knows because they're all sleeping. He knows about your struggles and your sins. And Jesus still says, I love you. That is good news of great joy. Mary believed that. Mary in her Magnificat believed the gospel. That even though God is unbelievably holy. And that she was unbelievably sinful. She still believed that God was her savior. A holy God could love a lowly, poor, scared, confused teenager. And it gave Mary joy. And it can give you joy too. Despite the hard stuff that you're going through. You might have read the story in the last few days about Helen Johnson. I just came across this news yesterday. Helen Johnson lives in Torrent, Alabama. She's 47 years old. She lives with her two daughters, a niece, uh, and two grandchildren, ages one and three. Helen gets disabilities, not very much, and her daughter gets a welfare check for $120 a month. So they're quite poor. Their house is deplorable. They sleep on mattresses on the floor. And here's what happened. A couple of weeks ago, the family was terribly hungry. They had not eaten in two days. And so Helen got what money she could find in the house, a dollar twenty-five cents, put it in her pocket and walked to the nearby Dollar General. Her plan was to buy a dozen eggs. But when she was standing in front of the egg counter, she realized she was 50 cents short. So when she thought nobody was looking, she grabbed five eggs out of a carton and put them in her pocket and began to walk out. But unfortunately for her, the whole thing was caught on video. When the store clerk saw that she had shoplifted, he called the cops and Officer Bill Stacy showed up and met Helen out in the parking lot. Did you steal those eggs? He asked her. She figured he was going to slap handcuffs on her and book her for shoplifting. But instead, Officer Stacy said, stay right here. And he walked in the store and got a dozen eggs and brought them out and gave them to Helen Johnson. Helen started crying. She started apologizing. She tried to give the officer the dollar and a quarter that she had, but he wouldn't take it. Later on, Officer Stacy said, I felt like it was the right thing to do. I didn't want to pass judgment on her. So Helen asked how she could repay him, and he told her not to shoplift again. Tears running down her cheeks, Helen promised not to ever shoplift again. But unbeknownst to both Bill and Helen, the whole thing was being videotaped by somebody with a cell phone. And this guy took his cell phone home and put the video on Facebook, and it went viral. 
Pretty soon, the city signed up Helen Johnson and her family for the annual Torrent Toy Drive. Last week, two truckloads of groceries showed up at Helen's door. Offers of food and money and clothing started coming in from all over literally the world. A fund has been set up at the local credit union. A food bank from Memphis, Tennessee arrived on Friday. And here's what Helen said to the newspaper who interviewed her. I just busted out and started hollering. I was yelling so loud I would have been a good cheerleader. Sounds like a John, Elizabeth, and Mary story to me. A story of joy. Friends, why can you rejoice today? Why can you, like Elizabeth, shout for joy? Because if instead of passing judgment on you, God passed judgment on His own Son and let you go free. While we were still weak, as Paul says in Romans 5, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You can be a person of joy because Jesus came to your rescue individually and died for your particular sins and miseries. But number two, Jesus didn't just do that. He also came to rescue the whole world from destruction and oppression. And that too is a source of joy for you and me. Jesus didn't just come for you individually. He also came into this world to rescue the whole world from oppression and destruction. In verses 50 through 55, which is the rest of uh, Mary's song, Mary's vision grows bigger. It grows wider. She moves from praising God for His mercy upon her to praising God for who He is in Himself and what He has done for the whole world. So I want to show you this too. Let's read again verses 50 through 55. It says in verse 50 where Mary continues, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see how Mary now is looking bigger at God. She is magnifying God. She is making him bigger beyond herself to others. Notice a couple things about this second part of her song. First of all, I want you to notice how different God's ways are from man's ways. How different God's ways are from man's. Look at verse 52. Notice that God brings down the mighty from their thrones. And he exalts those of humble estate. This past week maybe you've seen how crazy the city of New York City has gone over the royal couple's arrival. uh, Prince William and Princess Kate. They spent several days up in Manhattan and the surrounding area. People went nuts over them. They were 
all over the place. I read that Manhattan hotels saw an 84% surge in online searches while William and Kate were there because people wanted to see them. They had to be around them. Human beings are like that. We love celebrity. You know, we go nuts over Hollywood stars or our football uh, standouts or coaches or politicians that we agree with, right? But God's not like that. God is very different. He's not impressed by royalty or power. Instead, in verse 51, it says that he scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And verse 53 says that he satisfies the hungry, but he sends the rich away empty. As Jesus put it himself, the first are last in God's economy. And the last are first. God's ways are not like man's ways. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are not the mighty, but the meek. For they will inherit the earth. So God's ways are very different from man. Secondly, the other thing I want you to notice from this half of Mary's song is that God is going to make things right. God's going to make things right. Did you notice as I read verses 51 through 55 that the verbs are all in the past tense? And maybe you sort of stumbled over that a little bit. Because instead of saying what Mary is presently thinking, it's speaking in the past. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry and so on and so forth. See, in Mary's mind, it's as good as already done. Mary believes that the great reversal has already begun. Mary, you see, knew the Old Testament prophecies. Not only did she know the song or the prayer of Hannah so well that she almost recited it verse by verse, but she knew the other prophecies of the Old Testament. She was steeped in the scriptures. Uh, Scholars have shown that she alludes or quotes many verses from the Old Testament in this song. And so Mary believes that in her son, in, yeah, in her son that she is carrying, God is bringing to fulfillment the prophecies of the Old Testament that spoke about a coming kingdom. She believes that Jesus would not only save souls, but that he would introduce a new world order. God was about to change the course of human history through the little embryo growing inside her. She believes that. The Bible talks about it. The Bible says that God is going to make all things new. That he's going to destroy evil and sin and establish righteousness and peace upon the earth. The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to eradicate terrorism and poverty and disease and all the other things that drive us crazy. The Bible says that. Mary believes that. And so her song reflects the fact that she thinks Well, it's already sure as done because God is mighty. He is going to have this happen. He is going to bring the promises to fruition. Some of you know because we've told you that uh, we had a little flood in our home back in August and much of our bottom floor, the floor was damaged and we had to get it replaced. Now, we don't know much about wood flooring or laminate and carpet and all that stuff. So what did we do? We called in an expert. 
So we brought in and hired an interior designer. And one of the things she did was she showed us samples. And uh, here is a sample that, that we ended up getting. In fact, this is part of our floor. I just ripped it off so I could show it to you. <laughs> Not really. But uh, here, here she walks in. Our, our floor is a mess. Everything is just horrible looking. And she says, uh, this is what you need right here. Because see, she could see the end from the beginning. She saw something we couldn't see. All I could see is this right here. And I, I don't have the ability to put it all together and see the finished product. But our interior designer has the gift. She could see the end from the beginning. She knew what she was doing. She had a plan. And so we trusted her and we went with what she said to do. That's like God. See, Mary knows that God has a plan. And Mary was able to say, already God has done this. I see the end from the beginning. I see the kingdom is coming. And I am trusting that my interior designer, God, who is so much more powerful, so much more wise than me, is putting the new world order into effect. God is advancing His kingdom, you see. He is establishing His glory on earth. He is reaching out to the nations through the gospel. Things may look very dim. Perhaps you came in this morning feeling that way. Perhaps you felt... As Michael in his prayer said, the curse upon your back. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're despondent or depressed. Just know that your interior designer, God, has a plan and it's moving forward. That's why you can be a person like Mary was of joy. I was driving the other day uh, in bumper to bumper traffic over to the Waterford Town Center. This time of year, it's just a, a, a supreme test of patience. I was already pulling whatever hair I have left out. And part of the problem was not only the traffic, but I was listening to the news. And it was just horrible. Uh, stuff about, you know, Ferguson and the CIA and ISIS and racism and now the storm that's hitting the West Coast and protests in New York City and on and on and on and on. And finally, I just got to the Waterford Town Center and parked and got out of the car. And there's the gospel, even over at the Waterford Town Center. I heard on the loudspeakers, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So how should you respond to your rescue? By singing with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. I think if there is an imperative in here, it is that. That you and I are called by God. If we are his people. If we've been rescued by his grace. Let's magnify the Lord. What does that mean? It means to make him bigger. It means to make God larger. So that he can be seen more clearly by more and more people. How do you make someone who is already omnipresent bigger? Well I think it's by giving him credit for what he's done in your life. Speaking of him, telling others what he's done for you like Mary does here. Introducing him in the empty places you, you meet up with. You know, there are places out in the world that are 
seemingly devoid of God. To make God bigger, to magnify Him, means to take God into those empty places at work, at school, with your neighbors. And I think, not least of all, it means to bring people to Him. Invite someone to the outreach tonight. Or invite someone to the Christmas Eve service are just a couple of practical suggestions. But above all, do what Mary does there in verse 48 and 49. Rejoice in God your Savior. In spite of the pain, in spite of the struggle, be glad in God because He who is mighty has done great things for you. Let's pray. Perhaps there's someone in the room this morning who has yet to be rescued. I wonder if you'd be willing to ask God, even now, Lord, come to my rescue. I am drowning. I have tried to live independent of you and it's not working. I am miserable. I'm trusting in myself instead of you. I fear that one day I will not be ready to meet you. God, I need you to rescue me. Lord, would you come to that person's rescue? Would you help him or her realize just how much you love them? Open their eyes to see you holding out your hand of salvation. Give them the gift of faith and repentance. Help them to transfer their trust from themselves to you. And Lord, for those of us who do know you're rescuing grace, but are finding it hard to rejoice, Lord, give us the faith of Mary. Help us remember the great things you've done for us. Help us to trust that you're bringing in a kingdom where righteousness and peace and love prevail. Where the mighty are finally brought down and the lowly are exalted. Give us patience to wait and long and hope for that day, Lord. Help us all in the meantime to magnify you, to enlarge you, to reflect your glory and grace to a world gone awry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.